does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Uh, joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that introduction, he is, of course, the morning co-host on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. And, uh, Kevin, first off, if you had a nap between the morning show, that's what I used to do, right, when we would do the show. I would nap. A lot of times it would start about 8.30, um, but then nap later. Have you been able to do that? Because I would imagine it was kind of a long night as well. Well, I, I have not, but it seems very on brand for you to be. Did you say you were petting a squirrel? Did you bring a stuffed animal, too, that you sleep with? I'm sure the squirrel would have loved to have seen that. That'd be cow, my stuffed animal. I did not. Um, Twiggy, was, Twiggy was – listen, I, I'm big with squirrels. Twiggy was cool. Twiggy was comfortable. Got a little restless towards the end. It, probably you can relate to that, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly true. But no, there has not been a nap yet on the radar. I think I'll sleep pretty easy tonight, though. So, yeah, luckily the only only primetime action for the Colts this season. Uh, your impressions, first off, we'll get to Richardson. We've talked a lot about that. But, Kevin, let's take Anthony Richardson out of the equation, which seems silly because that's obviously the focal point for the Colts this year. But if you take Anthony Richardson out of the equation, give me other areas that jumped out at you or a player or two that you thought really showed themselves well last night. Yeah, I know something you and I have talked about, Jake, is tight end a lot. That's, to me, just a wide-open position group. Who makes the team? How many make the team? Uh, what the playing time looks like. I thought... Three of those guys really jumped out, and the three that played, that would be um, Kylan Granson and Will Mallory and Drew Ogletree. Ogletree had the big catch and run on that first touchdown series. So I'd say that is probably what jumped out to me offensively. I guess if you want to go negative, I'd like to see Al Pierce give me a little bit more, especially give Anthony Richardson a little bit more, whether it's you know, being competitive at, with contested catches or certainly making a play that he didn't make in Buffalo. Defensively, I thought they stopped the run really well uh, against, I guess, Philly's backups. And then I thought the D-line could have given you a little bit more. I mean, that's your starting D-line with tons of draft picks and money, um, you know, associated with that group. And so that is an area that I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of. But it's just hard to evaluate something Andy and I talked about earlier today. I mean, your starters have been together for 15, 15 series in the preseason. That's a lot, nine on offense, six on defense and they've yet to see a starting quarterback. So it's one of those things where when you win four games, typically you play, play your starters a lot in the preseason, and the opponent uh, oftentimes is not. So that's kind of where the Colts are at at the end of September. Kev, let's operate underneath the assumption that Jonathan Taylor is not with the Colts week one. Not saying he gets traded, not saying he's not available, but just for some reason of those two, he is not the running back leading the Colts week one. And let's say that Zach Moss is eligible, healthy, and active to play. Did you see enough from this running back by committee that we saw through the preseason to think that Zach Moss will not be the first back off the depth chart for this committee approach? Did Evan Hole do enough to take that away from him when he's back? Well, it sounds like a degenerate 18 team <laughs> fantasy football question. I do have a draft on Saturday. I do have a draft on Saturday. It's important. Yeah, and it would be on brand for you to go that route. Um, <laughs> I think if Zach Moss is healthy, Zach Moss is playing on first and second down, and Evan Hall would be the third down, and Deion Jackson would kind of be the first guy out of the bullpen and, you know, would sub in for Moss. I mean, I think Moss is a first and second down guy. I think he proved that late last year. Um, you know, it's a broken arm. It's not like you're worried about him kind of lower body coming off the injury when he gets back. So I think that's how the rotation would look. And then pay attention to Tuesday. I mean, do you make any waiver claims, any moves there? I think that's something certainly to keep an eye on. But if no Taylor, Moss is back, I'd say Moss first and second down. And, I mean, I thought Evan Hall has had some decent moments in the passing game. And, you know, he caught a ton of balls in Northwestern. And, you know, he picked up a huge blitzer last night um so i think for a rookie day three pick it's kind of a big responsibility but i think he deserves a shot at it that's the thing kevin i thought last night notably you know kirk herbstreet i mean i, I certainly respect kirk herbstreet's opinion and and 
ability to observe, and he seemed pretty impressed with Hull. I mean, I think he was thinking to himself, like, wait a minute. I'm not saying he's a starter, but this is a guy that could work his way into the mix. And I think that says as much probably about Hull as it does also just the position in general because we've become accustomed to thinking that you've got to have, like, that home run hitter in Taylor. But the way that Steichen Drew plays up last night, Kevin, would you agree that it seems to forecast the ability for them to kind of rotate players through by committee if, in fact, Taylor's not available? Yeah, that is a good point. I, you know, I also think, too, with Hull, I mean, Jake, you've seen so many rookie running backs come through this market. You know, Edwin James being the gold standard of it. Like, can you hold up and pass protection or not? I mean, that's a huge, huge ordeal, especially with the NFL being a much different passing league than college game is. And, again, I think Hull you know, called the ball nicely at Northwestern, and I, I guess it was one rep I'm going off of. But you know, I, I thought he's held up in pass protection decently well. So, uh, that's always an area I think you look at rookie running backs and you're kind of uncertain. Can they do that? Can they be three down guys? Um, so I think that's a question that you have. I will add this, though. I, I feel like in watching Richardson through the first two preseason games he's played, when I watch the run game operate, I just see massive creases and lanes, and I see Hull and Deion Jackson getting what's blocked. I don't see them breaking the tackle and getting to the next level. And that is something I feel like the home run hitter next to Richardson would, would give you something like that. I think there's so much respect for Richardson in the run game that if you put a dude next to him and not just a guy, I think you could go from four yards per carry to even more. So uh, that is something that I think you have to, uh, have to acknowledge. Kevin, is Anthony Richardson – and I listen. He impressed me last night. I know that if you look at the numbers, you know he's a he's kind of a beyond the box score guy. I, I think that when you look at it, the, the numbers, if you just analyzed the statistics, you'd go, "Ah, eh, there's there's some improvement." That and obviously there is improvement that needs to be made. But if there's one area that that I thought he was most impressive, it was just his overall comfort level. Like he just looked like, and I know he's not going against Philly's number one unit, but the 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 internal clock for him in the pocket, I think he looks very poised in terms of understanding when all hell's about to break loose and then making something out of it. Now, I'm not saying that's going to maintain over the course of the year consistently, but last night I thought that was the most impressive thing about him. What say you? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, Jake. When the draft happened back in late April, the first thing that Chris Ballard said walking into that media room afterwards was nothing about the combine. It was about his point. And, like, that was the trait that stood out. Because, you know, how many times do you see the freak athlete and yet when the lights come on or things get a little chaotic, they just kind of crumble. They just kind of cripple. And I think you watch Richardson and it is poised. And I think he kind of exudes himself with a little bit of that swagger. I think he plays with a little bit of that. Like, even when he escapes, I don't think he's immediately escaping the run. You know, last night he threw that ball to Kylan Granson, which was initially called the catch, and then they overturned it. Again, that's a play where I think if you were a running quarterback, you might scramble to, you know, scramble and actually run. But there he's keeping his eyes down the field. You know, he looks left. He tries to make a play there. So, boys, I think is a huge part of his game, and it's a big reason why they were sold. Because, obviously, 13 games in the sell you. Six and six in Florida doesn't sell you. 53% doesn't sell you. So, what does? And it can't just be – you know, a creative player molded out of clay. There's got to be more to playing quarterback than that. And I think that that, that that poise word is certainly a big word. And I think it's something that he has shown an ability to have. Obviously, he's going to get thrown into different situations and, and people are going to be scheming up against him and all of that. But um, I would say it's something that, you know, gives you a little bit of hope of like, okay, he can handle this, even though, again, the resume, you know, really lacks from a statistical standpoint. Easier fix, Kevin, in your opinion. Kevin Bowen, our guest. Easier fix. Anthony Richardson to learn how to take a little off his fastball with slants or, or intermediate throws or receivers adjusting to the velocity of which the ball is coming. Oh, I think it's Richardson's got to take some off. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe going to ramp up the old uh, the old gun and, and, you know, try to catch balls off the jug machine at, you know, a higher rate or something like that. But, yeah, I think he's, he's just got to tone it down a little bit. Um, and I just think it's his comfort zone. You know, I think we all were there back in the day growing up where you have the pitcher that just guns the 98 
mile per hour fastball and doesn't have much else. And I think that's something with Richardson of like, does he have other velocities and does he feel comfortable like knowing when to use those other pitches, if you will, of like, no, man, you don't need 98 here. You need like 88. So uh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I tend to think it's got to be him dialing it back a little bit. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. KB, our next guest, James Boyd, mentioned this on Twitter last night. Mina Kimes pointed it out as well. I know you've stressed it within your training camp notebook and all the lead-ups in our countdown coverage on 107.5thefan.com in the lead-up to week one. At its best, how often will the Colts RPO teams to death and utilize what we saw at its peak, again, even though against the twos, quick decision-making from the rookie quarterback? Yeah, I mean, they're going to do it to, to death. I mean, anybody that's out of training camp will see heavy shotgun, heavy zone read, heavy RPO, a lot of tempo. And if you've seen the first two preseason games, that's – what they've done, I know Amazon threw up a stat last night of how much he's been in shotgun. You know, obviously that has been seen. So, yeah, I mean, it, this is going to look very much like a, uh, like a Saturday offense. If that's what you're utilizing on a week-to-week basis, as long as you have competency seems too low of a bar, but as long as you have some type of stability, can that continue to flourish and work regardless of who's in the backfield? Or how game-changing would that be for this offensive look if Ian Rappaport is incorrect and it's not a bridge too far of, of mending fences with Jonathan Taylor? Good question. I mean, Taylor incorporating himself into this offense would still be an adjustment for him. I mean, he's a guy that at Wisconsin, it's not like he had quarterbacks like this or they ran an offensive system like this at all. So I do think it would be an adjustment, but I tend to think 225 pounds and 4340 speed, once he gets going, that would kind of take over. So I, I'll go back to what I said earlier to Jake's question of, I still think when I watch the run game, again, going against backups, it's blocked pretty darn well, I think. But turning four into six and six into ten, those are still plays that I think Taylor would give you more of. Kevin Bowen joins us. You know him on 107.5thefan.com as our Colts beat writer, of course, the host of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy, 7 to 10 a.m. on the fan. You have a piece on 107.5thefan.com, five things learned as Anthony Richardson leads trio of scoring drives, and it's not just about the game. It's also a look ahead to next week. Your third point on that piece talks about the roster cut dilemma that the Colts have. Kind of a two-part question. One, how does – the Danny Pinter injury, and once we get you know uh, more understanding of what the Colts are going to operate with in that regard, how does that impact the choices that they have to make? And then how aggressive, you highlight this as well, do you anticipate them being with that fourth waiver spot once other cuts are made by other teams? Yeah, I think the Pinter injury is a big deal. I felt awful for him last night, and just when you saw teammates react how they did, it was – I think he's one of the more well-respected guys in that locker room, and, and so I feel you know bad for him in that situation. And you know when you look at you know, how the offensive line makeup is, I think he's your sixth guy. I think I mean he started last night for for Ryan Kelly. It's obviously a critical spot, so that opens up if he is out. That opens up a spot certainly, and the trickle-down effect is not a lot of experience with that depth group. I was talking about it earlier today. Let's say Penter is out six. Seven, eight on that O line. Got two guys in Blake Freeland and Carter O'Donnell. Never played an offensive snap in the NFL. And Arlington Hambright would probably be the eighth guy, and he hasn't played snap in the NFL since 2020. So that's an incredible amount of an experience. When we all saw the play happen, I mean that that can happen on any play in an NFL game. And you know, hindsight, I know, super 2020. But part of me was like, man, should Pinter have even been in there? in the second half after he'd started the whole first half and played every snap. And you know, that's probably more hindsight than, than anything. But in a contract year, you, you just feel terrible for the guy and you hope it's not too, too serious. Did you jinx Danny Pinter, Kevin? I, I mean, I'm not trying to make too much light of it, but, but did you jinx him yesterday? 
I, you know, first off, I feel awful for Hunter and his family. Secondly, I'm like, God, do I have those powers? Because if I do, I <laughs> showed up in my gambling resume at all. So for um, those that are unaware, you were talking about, I mean, innocuously enough, but take us through what you were talking about and, and what I noticed yesterday. Yeah, so um, I was referencing someone getting hurt in the game. I think, ironically, if I'm not mistaken, I said Michael Pittman first. And then I was like, well, Michael Pittman's really good and really important. Lo and behold, Pittman gets hurt. (laughs) Then he comes back in the game, and then Pinter goes down and gets carted off. And next thing I know, my mentions are filled with Ball State people telling me I jinxed him and cursed him and how dare I do that. Jake Query sending me videos at 11.45 at night of me jinxing him, and I'm (laughs) laying in my bed just thinking to myself, what did I do? Um, Well, thank you for absolving Pitt, because we could be in really dangerous territory today if if that is where things went had you not used your powers to to back off of that. Kevin, obviously it was just a terrible coincidence. I mean, I'm making light (laughs) of it, but it is interesting. You were talking about the impact if players in contract years were to get hurt and you're like, I don't know, you know, Danny Pinter, and you threw his name out there, and then lo and behold, he gets hurt. But, um, but I do think, and I remember a year ago, I caught a lot of heat, probably rightly so, where we listed our 10 most important players. And I had mentioned Danny Pittner because of, not because he's outstanding in any one position, but his versatility to be able to be a backup or a safety net in multiple positions. Um, so now we have a, a, a situation where I'm assuming he's going to be out a while. How big a blow is that to the depth of their offensive line, Kevin? Yeah, you guys are bringing up a little bit on me, but I think I kind of followed basically you're saying how, how big of a loss would Pinter be. You know, Jake, you, something you and I have talked about. You know, last year, the offensive line play was utterly horrific. And with Braden Smith, Clinton Nelson, and Ryan Kelly, those three – they started 50 of 51 games. It's not like you had the normal offensive line injuries that you would have in a season. So I'm not going to act like Pinter's been some all-pro when he's been in there, but I think there's been moments where you're like, okay, there might be something here, particularly when he plays center. So, yes, I think it'd be a drop-off. And like I said, you're so inexperienced after him. I mean, he is easily the most experienced, certainly interior guy. Dan Skipper would be the other guy out of tackle. That would be a little bit more – from an experience standpoint, but um, yeah, I, I think it would be a big deal. And Tuesday at four o'clock ro- rolls around, waiver claims need to be there. Anybody jump out at you in terms of the defensive backfield, Kevin, an area where the Colts have um, a lot of need and a lot of opportunity for different players? Did, is there anybody that jumped out where you said, okay, they really made a nice claim for themselves last night? Well, I'd say last night in the whole preseason, I think Jalen Jones, number 40, out of Texas A&M, uh, seventh-round pick, has been really solid. And part of it is Juju Brents and Darius Rush have been uh, unavailable due to respective injuries, so that's a big deal. But Jalen Jones, 6'2", SEC corner, former five-star recruit, whether it's special teams or defense, I think he's made some statements. So he is certainly, I think, on the roster. There's no doubt about that. And I would say he's probably your fourth corner if you're going to go play tomorrow. KB, since we're not going to talk to you again until after cutdowns happen and until we get a resolution on Jonathan Taylor's stint on the pup, how do things change? I know they set the deadline reportedly for Tuesday for the trade seeking to be done, but how does this entire Colts NFL-wide thing with Jonathan Taylor change if he is still on the pup after cutdowns occur? Is he still on the pup? Yes. I mean, well, he's missed the four, first four games. Yeah, I mean, then I mean, then the physical injury story is, is huge. I mean, that's the first four games, and then you're talking about he might miss the entire year. If you're on PUP, there's a chance you could go on IR after that or he would return. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't let my brain go there quite yet, Jimmy, but that would be absolutely, you know, much more the physical storyline than just some of the complexities we have with it of, like, is he hurt? Is he really hurt? If he put pen to paper tomorrow, would he play? Um, yeah, that would be a huge, huge deal, more in the physical realm. So, Kevin, here's a really dumb question for you, and I know that that stuns you coming from me. Um, if Jonathan Taylor begins the year, what is the, when is the NFL trade deadline? The trade deadline, I want to say, is usually like a day or two before Halloween. It's usually like whenever that Tuesday is, the okay. final week yeah, right. of October. So here's my question. And my apologies if we just kind of covered this. But if Jonathan Taylor, for whatever reason, begins the season on the Colts' pup list, meaning ineligible for four games, 
if he is traded, let's say in week two, let's say Miami decides they have to have Jonathan Taylor and they trade him, can Miami then remove him off of the pup list upon acquiring him, or does he have to maintain on the pup list for the team that is inheriting him? Yeah, I would say he's got to maintain a spot. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but my assumption would be if you are on the pup list at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, then you have to be there for the four weeks. Because that's a real balancing act for Indianapolis now and for Chris Ballard, right? Because depending on whether or not they feel like he is still a piece that could be traded or flipped, then you've got to factor that in on what you do with that roster spot, right? Sure, yeah, and I think that's why I, I would be stunned if he was still on pop again Tuesday at 4 o'clock. I think as long as you expect him to play in the first four weeks of the season, you're, you're taking him off the pup list, whether it's for you or for another team. I mean, you really stunt what you can do within those first four weeks if you leave him on pup. So that's why you're saying to Jimmy's question, like, if he is on pup, then this physical – I mean, this this ankle is, is no joke, which, I mean, maybe we should be paying more uh, more attention to that because he has missed nine, nine or ten months. The only reason I'm worried about it, Kev, is because I keep going back and forth and, and I'm trying to stay out of, you know, tinfoil hat territory, but how much of the injury conversations with him have been gamesmanship by both sides and how much of it is, yeah, he, he really is still banged up to the point that he's not going to be able to go out there because it, it not only impacts, like, you start to question a lot of what's happened with this timeline, both for the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, if it winds up being next week that it's four games he's missing because it's not only at that point legitimizing the injury completely and not to say that it's not now, but it impacts Jonathan Taylor negatively because it doesn't count for time served with the team. Yeah, and that's something I need to double-check, Jimmy, of like a you know, full year on injured reserve. What would that mean? Um I don't think, to your point, it would count as accredited season, but I, I got to double-check that. And okay. I mean, there's just so many layers to this, which just, you know, is, is beyond frustrating through it all. Are you surprised so late in the game that they decided to allow him and his agent to seek a trade? Or, or is it just a, a gesture, olive branch of good faith here, that is a, a, a smartly played late-stage chip in this negotiation process. Yeah, I mean, saying Olive Branch with anything, and this seems a bit of a, you know, that's kind of a bit wishful thinking in my, my opinion. I think there's an element of like, all right, you go out there and see what you have. Like, you go out there and take a look at the market, come back to us, and are we that far off? Again, it doesn't sound like they are necessarily – negotiating at all it more sounds like we're gonna wait so unless you think you can get something in august that you like we're gonna wait and reevaluate then for taylor you have to say are they really waiting or are they just going to do the same song and dance that pretty much every nfl team does of that they wait but then you know you don't you don't uh you don't get the multi-year sort of extension that he thinks he deserves obviously okay kevin last question for me kevin bowen our guest give me the guy that now that the preseason in terms of games played um, you know, we've seen the body of work. Give me the guy that when everybody reported to Grand Park and Westfield was a certainty for the roster that now, and I'm not talking about Jonathan Taylor, and I'm not talking about, say, Danny Pinter, but now the guy that actually is going to have rougher night sleeps between now and final cutdown days than he perhaps anticipated. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the Mo Cox thing is interesting. You know, in some ways, people could say he's kind of helped himself just that he's been available. You know, there's some tight ends that haven't not haven't been as available as him. Granted, he's missed a good chunk of time. Um, I at this point, I wouldn't put Mike Strawn on the football team. I, I don't know if he was definitely on it or not. Probably not, but he would be somebody that I would say no. They, they signed a defensive tackle in the offseason named Haven Bryan. He's a former first round pick. You know, just out of name recognition, he might be a guy that you know, I think is probably on the bubble. Uh, outside of that, I, I don't know. I, I know, like, that's the topic we get every year at this time of, like, oh, you know, who, who's the big name? I just don't know if we've had anybody like Ben Banigou from from last year where it's like, well, there's a huge debate whether you put him on there or not. I, I don't know if there is that guy, which you know, sounds like a cop-out, but I don't know, maybe I'll be proven wrong on Tuesday, but I, I, I don't think there's anybody necessarily 
again, I'll, I'll go back to Mo. You know, do you trade Mo Alley Cox for the equivalent of a Mo Alley Cox at another position because you feel good about your other tight ends? I think that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, Mike Strawn is one of those, Kevin, to be honest with you, that I kind of feel like if it was going to happen for him, it would have done so by now, right? Like, it would have jumped out by now, and we would have known it, right? Yeah, and like, you know, when you were in year three and you're a six-round draft pick and you've, you've had five catches, let's say you're a wideout and you're a six-round draft pick, you've had five catches in two years, you better find a role on special teams or else you're not staying in this league. And again, I just think he's a liability when it comes to special teams. KB, last, last thing on my end. How you feeling about the opener for Notre Dame across the pond? I know Jake's very excited about that question. He's been begging me to ask it for you all interview. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm shocked Jake didn't lead off with more Notre Dame yeah, questions. Okay. Um, okay. Navy, you know, tip of the cap to Navy. I mean, I always am curious about what they're going to look like. 20 and a half, I'll, I will stay away. You never bet against the academy. You only bet for the academy. So, yeah. uh, having said that, 38-13 Irish. Love it. Uh, there's some beautiful Notre Dame wood carvings here. You want to Venmo me something, I can get you something. Or we can split it and get it for Jake. We can do that as well. I think he'd appreciate that uh, on his desk. Kevin hey. Bowen, always nice enough to make some time with us. Appreciate you, KB. Have a wonderful weekend. Send me pictures, Jimmy, and God bless you for working with Jake. I will talk to you, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Come Thanks, on now. Man. It's Kevin Bowen. You can follow Look, him on Twitter. I, I'll, I'll give the guy credit. The Notre Dame woodworking piece is nice. I mean, he's done a nice job with it. It, it just should be you got to admit, this is a cool-looking logo, isn't it? I mean, I bet. you Is that we, a cool we, logo? It's a beautiful logo. But we are, we, are, we, we are at what I'm willing to put all chips in here at all the wood. chips Exactly. In. At the wood carving capital Period. of the world right now. You take that logo to somebody, there's, lumber, there's wood carvers around here. They'll get that done for you, Jake. You can right. live your dream. But here's the thing, though. The Clemson Paw, there's a little wrinkle down at the bottom there. Mm. They actually took an actual tiger from, I believe it was the Anderson, <laughs> South Carolina Zoo, when they first, and, and they dipped his paw in ink, and he had a wrinkle at the bottom of his paw. Really? And that little wrinkle in the Clemson logo, is that's what separates it as the trademark from places like Hamilton Heights and other schools that use that logo. Yeah. The little wrinkle there is how the university knows that you ripped off. I'll let you highlight that to the YouTube audience as we step aside. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts. Just look at a logo of Clemson. You'll see the little wrinkle at the bottom. You'll get it. Maytay with us next. There's a more intelligent way to keep your home comfortable this summer. Luxair Premium Residential Systems with unquestionable efficiency to save you money. Undeniable quality because every Luxair unit is designed, engineered, and assembled to last. Now that's a smart choice in home comfort. Contact Capital Supplies to learn more about becoming a Luxair dealer. Capital Supplies and Luxair, a combination you can count on. 317-926-6061. Hey, JMV here for the absolute best in realty. Mark Deedle, Mark Deedle Realty, 317-755-4232. That's 317-755-4232. Online, markdeedle.com, Mark, D-I-E-T-E-L.com today. Rich and Cindy in Greenwood needed a little bit of help. What they did was hire Mark Deedle and his team, and they closed on their old place in one week with a cash offer. I'm telling you, whatever your situation situation you know you're going to get the best when you get with mark deedle of mark deedle realty 317-755-4232 mark deedle guarantees your home sold at a mutually agreed upon price and deadline or he will buy it he's the best mark deedle mark deedle realty 317-755-4232 317-755-4232 that's online markdeedle.com mark d-i-e-t-e-l.com today JMV here for Sundown Gardens, and Sundown is having their second. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hoosier Hardwood Festival is where you find us at the Boone County Fairgrounds, right off exit 138 and I-65. I just... Kind of took a walk around and some fabulous exhibitors here in terms of woodworking. As we mentioned, Twiggy the water skiing squirrel doing his thing out here. He joined us on the program earlier, which was awesome. Uh, Last night, the Colts were in the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia taking on the Eagles. Joining us now on the hotline, courtesy of Shelby Materials, as you just heard, your concrete and aggregate experts. Matt Taylor joins us, the voice of the Colts. 
Matt, before we begin in talking about just the game itself and, and the roster and some of the different performers, I, I am curious, and I wanted to ask you this because I do think people find this stuff interesting. So last night they're in Philadelphia. That means that right now you are where, and assuming that that is Indianapolis, give me like kind of the rundown of how it works for an NFL team on a primetime game and their return back to Indianapolis from the city they were in the night before. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, so last night, you know, game gets over about 11 o'clock. We're on the team bus um, back to the airport. I think we took off probably – uh, about about one one thirty, and then you know between landing and going back to the team complex, then going back to my house. I think I got back to my house about four thirty in the morning, and uh, you know saw saw my wife and kids for about uh, you know ten minutes. I would say this morning when I got up, you know they were kind of getting out the door, getting ready to, to start their day and go to school about seven thirty. So. You know, took a little bit of a doze and, and saw them off to their day. And then I went back to sleep for a couple hours. I got up about 9 and took a shower. And I'm physically back into the office right now, um, You know, kind of putting the game from last night to bed. So kind of running on fumes a little bit. We were in Philadelphia for, you know, three and a half, four days. You know, we landed late afternoon on Monday, had the joint practice on Tuesday. Uh, then we're there, obviously, Wednesday and Thursday, getting ready for the game. So it, it's 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 been a long week, um, but you know the preseason's over, and and now you're getting ready for cut time. But yeah, kind of kind of running on fumes a little bit with the wild couple of of uh, weeks here with the Colts with joint practices and preseason games. So it's been busy. So from the time that you left for Philadelphia, through the practices, through the game last night, and then getting back today. Is there any one thing that jumps out at you as a question that you had about the team when you were on your way to Philly that you felt like was answered either via practice or the game during the time in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think to me, you know, what I kind of feel good about now more so than, you know, like 10, 12 days ago when training camp really kind of started to heat up. And by that, I mean, you know, you played Buffalo and then you had joint practices with the Bears and then two preseason games, another joint practice with the Eagles. What I feel I feel confident in going into the season is just the Colts secondary. You know, feel really good about the growth and the development of some of their second-year players that are now starters. If you're playing a game tomorrow, Jake, you know it. You know, Dallas Flowers on the outside and Nickel and, and Daryl Baker Jr. as well with Kenny Moore on the inside. And, you know, that's why I think these joint practices, especially the, the hookup with uh, the Eagles on Tuesday, was so valuable because you had A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith going up and making plays. And they made plays on goal balls on those two players. But you know what? That's okay. Like, you learn. You grow from your failures. And, you know, those guys, again, they just went up and made plays. The Colts had really good coverage on those players. But you have to tip your cap to elite players at their position, and that's what Brown and, and Smith, that's, that's who those guys are. And so I think it was just invaluable experience for Baker and Dallas Flowers and Juju Prince and Jalen Jones to go up against some of the game's best. And certainly, you know, Philadelphia, you know, they, they have that to offer on offense. And, you know, Rick Venturi kind of joked, and I agree with him, you know, we were watching the practice on Tuesday you know, at certain positions, the Eagles make the Bears look like a JV team. I mean, they're just that talented. And that's why even though they didn't succeed 100% of the time, it's it's so invaluable for those young corners for the Colts to see the best in the game, you know, to see the best that the NFL has to offer. And so, like, that's why in week one when the Colts play the Jaguars, you know, they're not going to be too starstruck from, you know, from Ridley and, you know, some of their players, Zay Jones uh, for, for, the, uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got great players, but I don't think they're on the same level as A.J. Brown and Smith and so on and so forth. So that's why I think it's really, really big for the Colts to see some of those players in person, in a joint practice, to, to kind of grow that confidence and to know, hey, I kind of hung in coverage with these guys. I can cover anybody else in the NFL that, that I'm going to see on a week-to-week basis. Matt, back-to-back preseason, or I shouldn't say back-to-back because he didn't play in the Bears game, obviously, but you have Buffalo and then you have Philadelphia. First drive struggles, not solely on Anthony Richardson either time, but by the Colts' offense. They bounce back and they respond, and Richardson obviously leads together a couple of scoring drive. 
What impressed you the most specifically with Anthony Richardson? I know it's an incredibly small sample size, but that's what we have to go off of with the reps that he has between mm-hmm. the quarter that he got in Buffalo and the pretty much whole half that he got last night. Yeah, to me, it's just the resiliency. You saw that in both games. You know, the first drive of the first game in Buffalo, he throws the pick. Everybody on the sideline during that game takes accountability, and they learn from it, and they grow. And then the next drive, you know, he leads that should have been a scoring drive, should have been a touchdown drive. We had a drop. He had some penalties. You had a missed field goal. Um, and then last night, obviously, you know, you had, you know, it was like a disaster. You had three plays, and, you went three and out. You had two uh, penalties on Quentin Nelson, like three plays minus 14 yards. Just his way to be able to compartmentalize with those things and come back and bounce back and show that resiliency because the next drive was darn near flawless. And I, I think the biggest thing that I, that excites me just as a play-by-play guy, this is going to sound corny, uh, but it's true. I mean, when, when you have Anthony Richardson and trying to describe everything that he could do in the backfield, you almost have to be – like a full beat, like a full second behind the play in real time because the play is never dead. He just does exciting things in the backfield. I mean, he can turn all of these positives into negatives, and he can escape tacklers. And we really haven't seen a lot of that, obviously, in training camp because he's wearing the red jersey and they're blowing the play dead just out of safety you know, reasons, and you understand that. But last night, obviously, in a game, it's full tackle, it's full go. You know, People are just – you know, they're bouncing off of him in the backfield, and he's turning what should be five-yard losses into 15-yard gains for first downs. Just it's so incredibly exciting. So I thought last night was better than his stat line would lead on. And you had nine nine possessions in the in the uh, preseason for him. He should have led, uh, you know, scoring drives on four of those possessions. He did have some three and outs. So in that regard, it's it's kind of like we what we all thought it was going to be for him in the preseason. Some ups, some downs. But more so than anything, you just see how electric he can be and why the Colts drafted him where they did because of what he can turn into with the right polish. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Matt, it's interesting. You kind of stole my thunder there because I was thinking to myself, of all people, and I'm curious from your standpoint, so much of Anthony Richardson that we talked about today is kind of the poise of his understanding. I think at the quarterback position, Matt, in the NFL, there is that internal clock. And a big part of a quarterback's acclimation period and comfort level in, in playing is kind of knowing when to listen to that clock or feel it and when to know that it's mm-hmm. a false alarm and you still have time in the pocket. And I'm curious, from your standpoint as a broadcaster, do you find yourself starting to feel that clock before even Anthony Richardson does? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm about to call a sack here. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, you can see the seas open up for him. That's the kind of guy he feels like when you're watching it, like he's almost more poised than we are. Does that make sense? No, total sense. And I knew that about – having to call Anthony Richardson's games going into the season, but I've already fell victim to that. And I've, I've learned the hard way with this guy back there with how, how big he is and as strong as he is and just so athletic, you just, you cannot take anything for granted. You can't assume anything when he's got the football in his hands, because like we've talked about, he can turn. I mean, he's got three guys draped all over him and he just shakes them off. And then he just squirts out to the left for a 15 yard gain and I look at Rick and I said, I don't think the Colts have ever had, I said this on the air, the Colts have never had a player at quarterback that can do what Anthony Richardson just did. And we both looked at each other like, this is going to be fun this year. So you're right. No, from a play-by-play standpoint, you have to kind of wait. You kind of have to just be a beat behind to make sure you get the call right because it can look like he's going down. It can look like he's going to be sacked. And all of a sudden, just that, that brute strength shows up and the play's still going, and that's what's just – it's just so fun. Like, last night, I, you know, I told the crew around me, like, I had fun last night because Anthony Richardson played 33 snaps, and not that you don't have fun every other time you're on the air doing a preseason game, but just he's electric. He's just exciting. Like, he can just do things that 99% of other players in the NFL can't do. And so from that standpoint, it's just exciting to kind of be on your edge of, edge of your seat 
as a play-by-play guy trying to relay that information and accurately describe what you can see because he's capable of a home run and a big play every single time he takes a, a snap in the shotgun. If I was going to be a pessimist, which, Matt, I'm not typically a pessimist, right? But if I was going to be, I would be curious the number of times that we see Richardson running, whether that is by design from Shane Steichen or whether that's because as a young player he is not going through all his progressions and he is aborting mission early. Do you think that, that that is the case in any of these? Or is it legitimately and authentically either designed or the only option at the point that he's tucking and running? I guess it doesn't matter if it's a positive gain, but you get the question. Yeah, I think, I think you know, this goes back to what we said all offseason. You know, anytime we've talked to Shane or Jim Bob Cooter or, you know, just talked to, you know, national guests, you know, people that have played the position. You know, I remember a conversation – you know, back in May after the draft with uh, with with Orlovsky, um, you know, just the the fact that you know the, the Colts obviously they want him to grow, they they need him to play, they want him to play. That's how he's going to develop that the fastest. There's no doubt about that. But the question is, is he ready? Right when you when you come from Florida and you play 13 games in the SEC, and you you obviously have the thin resume coming out of college. Of course not. He's not going to be. 100% ready. I don't think anybody as a rookie quarterback in the NFL, even you know guys like Peyton Manning that had so much time on task at Tennessee, I don't think anybody's fully ready. Of course not, he's not ready. So what he's going to have to do, and I think what the Colts are conscious of, is they're going to keep it simple for him, right? They're not going to put too much on his plate. And when he matriculates up from the college game to the NFL, you know he already has kind of 50% of the concepts and the plays I don't want to say mastered, but he has a really good grasp on because they're going to marry the Saturday game, the RPO stuff, the read zone, the read option. They're going to marry that with the Sunday game. And that's where Shane Steichen and Jim Bob Cooter come into play to kind of refine his footwork and his progressions and his drops and his reads and stuff like that. So I think half of what he's being asked to do, he's really good at already. Um, But that being said, I don't think, again, the Colts are going to put too much on his plate with, I think it's going to be just concepts, right? It's going to be, all right, here's what we're going to look for on first and second down in the middle of the field. Here's our third and long package. Here's our third and short package. Here's our red zone stuff. And they're not going to try to overwhelm him because they want him to think fast and play fast because at the end of the day, like, he's just the best athlete on the field. Go out there and play football. Make plays. And I think that's what they're being conscious of with trying not to overload Anthony Richardson with too much right away. But I think, again, long-winded answer is I think he's going to have to rely on his athleticism and his running ability early on. That's what he's going to have to have success with to succeed, to keep Colts in, to, to keep the Colts in games and ultimately win some of these games early on. Anthony Richardson is just going to have to go out there and play football. And if that means bailing on the pocket early because he's not a 1,000% you know, fully prepared, you know, with that mental clock in his head that comes with just playing football, that's fine. Just go out and make plays because that's why the Colts drafted him and they're playing him early on in his career so that he can reach his ceiling as quickly as possible. Matt, we appreciate the time as always, especially on a short turnaround like that where I know you got to be tired. So we'll let you wrap up the day of putting this one to bed and then getting back in exactly that. But certainly appreciate the time today. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. Uh, enjoy the weekend, all right? Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys. All good, man. The sun is out. It's hot. Let's go. It is that. No question about it. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Queen Company live at Hoosier Hardwood Festival, Boone County Fairgrounds in Lebanon, Indiana, August 25th through the 27th. Make sure to come out here and be a part of it all weekend long. Already an opportunity to meet Twiggy. The water skiing squirrel have been rolling around as well with different wood carving exhibits, all the fun here at the Hoosier Hardwood Festival. We'll continue our conversations from the event as the day continues, but for now we'll resume our Colts conversation and bring things back to last night's preseason finale for the Colts, 27-13 winners over the Philadelphia Eagles. Though he was not out there, he is one of our favorites and one of the most insightful on the beat. It's James Boyd of The Athletic. James, how are we doing on a Friday? I'm doing good, living the dream. Fridays are always fantastic, my book. 
James, I want to go with your perspective and your setup for just a second. You're used to on the beat, as you will be for the entire season, going to these games and being there. How, how does your perspective on things and your routine for a game day change when you're sitting remotely at home watching like we are during the preseason versus being out there in the thick of things? Well, the attire definitely changes. You know, I might be shirtless. I might have a tank top on. I might have shorts on. Whatever. You know, when you're going to a real game, you actually have to put on clothes and make sure you look presentable. That's the biggest thing. Other than that, I think the benefit of being at home is just that I can rewind whenever I want to to catch a play again. James, in those terms, let's begin with this. Take me through a play or two last night, or player is a better way of saying it. Give me somebody that did a play, good or bad, where you, in fact, did have to rewind it to watch a second time to get a better understanding of what you just witnessed. I think the Anthony Richardson dot to Kylan Granson, 17-yarder, that was when I ran back just to kind of see how the play unfolded. Saw the check come in as well. There was another where I wanted to rewatch Alec Pierce on a couple 50-50 balls. I'm like, okay, I'm a little bit concerned about that connection because it hasn't really developed. So I'm trying to see, okay, is he winning these matchups? Is he losing these matchups? Was it a good ball? Was it a bad ball? And that, to me, has been probably the biggest reason why I like running it back. And I actually do it sometimes at games, too. I always have YouTube TV pulled up on my laptop just because I want to watch it play again right away. So yesterday, or last night, I guess I should say, while watching the game, also, you know, there were those moments I'm watching and I thought Richardson was impressive. And I think if you just looked at the stat line, you would probably not grasp just the overall feel and the poise he showed. But I had to remind myself, James, there have been players that look like guys that came in and I thought, wow, like this, this guy is going to be a problem for a long time. Vince Young comes to mind. Ryan Leaf during the preseason looked fabulous. You know, Baker Mayfield looked really good early on in his career. Talk me through or talk me off the ledge of, of why Anthony Richardson is not going to be one of those guys? I think the biggest thing is that he is an anomaly overall. You know what I mean? The athleticism that he displayed, I think, gives him a higher floor than most give him credit for because half of the game for him is going to be using his legs, which has come so naturally for him. So I think that's probably the biggest reason. When you see him evade some of those pressures, when you see him turn something into nothing for a first down game, those are the plays where I personally think, okay, if he can get a little more accuracy, a little more consistency, then he could be really good at quarterback. Because to me, even right now, if he just cleans up a little bit, he's a serviceable quarterback, you know, someone that can help you kind of tread water and, and win a few games. But now, the challenge is obviously in the face of the franchise, can you become a guy? And to me, I look at Jalen Hurts' 2021 season with Shane Steichen, where he was a first-time, full-time starter, and they kind of tread water, made the playoffs, didn't have a great record, but he was serviceable, pretty good game manager. Then he made that leap to, you know, obviously superstarting. James, we've discussed at times during the preseason how frustrating drive-killing penalties can be and how much pressure not only to succeed in pass pro and to open up opportunities for the running game to succeed, but how much pressure is going to be on this offensive line to not make unforced errors like being an ineligible man downfield or like the the two back-to-back penalties that Quentin Nelson had, one being a false start and the other one being a hold last night. Again, I know that's just one example, and they, they played pretty well for the most stretches of that first half. When you look at that, how big a concern are penalties stacking up like that, at least in the early going, with the way that they're going to need to protect Anthony Richardson and the frequency of the RPOs you highlighted last night on Twitter? Yeah, I think that the first drive last night definitely made everyone sort of throw their hands in the air because I was thinking to myself, and this is what it's going to be? Lord have mercy, I'm going to watch some bad football. But they did show signs of progress, I thought, on the second and third drive, and even beyond that, to close out the first half with the ones. Again, that was against Phillies, too. So, you know, is it apples to apples? Maybe not. But I do think they got a lot more comfortable as the game went on. And to me, that's the importance of reps. I know we preach it for Anthony Richardson himself, but it's going to help with his teammates as well because they have to get used to playing with a quarterback who can do a bunch of different things that were just not possible last year. For example, when he scrambled for 16 yards yesterday, 
that was a sack, you know, most of the time last season. He had another one where he flipped out and, and ran for about six yards where he could have been sacked again. And I'm like, that's a sack and possibly a fumble in 2022, whereas this year players have to – wide receivers have to keep running and then players have to become blockers a lot more often because he can extend plays. James, if you're Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard, either one, and by the way, I like Chris Ballard kind of retro, the, the retro Colts hat he had on last night. I thought it was a good look. Um, if you're either of those two guys, you began training camp and you wrote down your concerns of this roster in pencil, whether it be players, whether it be schemes, whether it be a, a particular unit, you wrote down all your concerns in pencil. Give me one of those concerns that they now have erased because they feel better about it. Oh, man, that's a good question. Because mm, I think some of these concerns are still here. Um, is is this the development of Anthony Richardson? Maybe that's a cop-out answer. Because to me, the offensive line is a little concerned. I thought that Danny Pitcher going down obviously isn't a good sign. They don't have much depth there. That's still a concern for me. The cornerbacks, you know, they showed some progress throughout the preseason, but that's still a concern for me because preseason and second stringers and training camp – doesn't matter. What do you do on Sundays? Um, that's concerning for me as well. And maybe I'll say this, tight end. Um, I don't know if it was a concern, but you want to see some progress from them. And I think Drew Ogletree showed something last night. Kylan Granton had a really good preseason. And to me, I did my uh, 53-man roster projection that everyone always agrees with um, because I'm a genius. But no, um, in all seriousness, that's probably a, one position group where I'm like, I go either way on Will Mallory or, or, or Mo Ali Cox. Like, did Mo Ali Cox do enough to stick around, or do you just go full youth movement with uh, Will Mallory? James Boyd with us, covers the Colts for The Athletic. Of course, you can subscribe to his work on theathletic.com or by downloading The Athletic app. James, Jake brought up an interesting point from last night's game that I hadn't thought about prior to our conversations to open the show, which is that with the stability that was present at times from the running game just last night against the Eagles and the growth that they've shown over the course of training camp into the preseason, that it was not a great night in particular for Jonathan Taylor because it looked the part, even if you super sim out another half of football, like a team that is at least going to stabilize what the Colts need out of the running back room. Did you see it that way? Again, not to take away from Jonathan Taylor, we know things would be different and, and it's a whole nother gear you're unlocking if he was out there but did you see it that way in terms of more poise and confidence from the running back room last night yes now granted that was against the two it wasn't their ones and philly has obviously one of the best defenses in the nfl i will say that my opinion on this has sort of shifted because i've read more about it and i've tried to become more knowledgeable on the subject but having a dual threat quarterback really changes the dynamic of your running game. And I think that a Jonathan Taylor, you know, benefits Matt Ryan a lot more than he does in Anthony Richardson. I said it because with Richardson, you can scheme up a lot of yards and a lot of looks because you have to give so much attention to him. So a lot of those holes we saw last night, you know, whether it was for Evan Hall or Deion Jackson, it was because they have to account for the possibility of the quarterback keeping it and running it himself. So I think that um, you look at Jalen Hurts again in Philadelphia, when he started to turn a corner in 2021, he was actually the team's leading rusher that year, even though they had Miles Sanders. And so I think last year on paper, it's like, oh, yeah, Miles Sanders had 1,000 yards, and they looked so much better. It looked better because they traded for A.J. Brown. That was the biggest difference um, in, in the jump that he made and obviously his own development. So I think that it was not a great night for J.T., but, I mean, there hasn't been very many, you know, throughout this preseason because he still wants out. And, yes, the Colts will be better with him, but it's not the end-all, be-all if – they move on from him for a decent trade package. James, I have, and I've mentioned this before several times on the radio, for like 20 years I've had this recurring dream. And the recurring dream is that I get an NBA tryout and I go out there and I know that I have like no business <laughs> being out there, right? But for whatever reason, I'm just in the zone for like that week and my, and I'm, it, my shot's falling. And they're whittling down the roster and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to make this NBA roster. I know I don't belong here, but for whatever reason, they, they like I'm going to make this roster because I played really well when I needed to play well. What member of the Colts right now is having that dream? I think the member who uh, definitely came on through our preseason was Daryl Baker Jr., who was only active for one game last year. 
um, for the Colts. So I think that he's definitely one that I will keep in mind. And I think also you look at Hambright on the offensive line. He's another one who, you know, you ask about offensive line depth, and I thought that he stepped up when called upon. Like, was he great? No, but he was serviceable. And I thought that when he had to come in, you know, uh, for some left tackle relief against the Bills and the preseason opener, he looked pretty good, looked pretty solid at right guard as a backup, you know, um, during the Bears joint practices. So he's another one. I think that um, he's a guy who I would have never, you know, thought that he would make the active roster, let's say, two or three weeks ago. But I think that throughout the preseason, he's shown, okay, I can actually play at this level. Mike Strawn, Jonathan Taylor, more likely to be on the roster week one. Jonathan Taylor, because as much as we talk about trades and him wanting out and teams being interested, interest does not mean they have, you know, going to pull the trigger on a, on a running back who we don't even know if he's healthy, which is why I think this Tuesday deadline that has been reported is very interesting because if for JT's sake, he needs to be moved before Tuesday because when Tuesday comes, 4 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to know how hurt he really is. Because if he's hurt and he's out, you know, stays on that pup list and he misses the first four games of the year automatically, then we'll all know that it really wasn't a hold-out, hold-in tactic, but that the guy still hasn't been cleared from an injury that at the time seemed very, you know, uh, routine in a sense. So um, we'll find out a lot more, I believe, next Tuesday. James, for me, and don't get me wrong, if somebody comes along and makes the Colts an offer they can't refuse, I could see them dealing Jonathan Taylor. But to me, and I want your opinion on this, whether you agree or disagree, the allowing Jonathan Taylor to test the market for a trade was less about the Colts trying to get something for him and more about the Colts trying to cement for him and his representation what his true value is on the market versus what he is asking the Colts to give him. You agree or disagree? I agree. I think that this is similar to the Lamar Jackson tactic where it's like, okay, we'll allow you to speak to other teams. And then when that market doesn't materialize, you'll realize you're a best option. And really your only option was always to play for us. Now that could change if another team comes in and offers them something crazy, but who would at this point, there's so many mitigating factors that would not help his case, which is you're coming off an injury. You're a running back. You know, you want a big contract. So all of those things do not, you know, work in his favor, which is why I think that the most likely team that he'll play for in 2023 is the Colts. And so, you know, it is what it is at this point. It's become definitely a talking point, and it will be one, even if he stays on the team, they don't extend him because every week we're going to ask, you know, are you healthy? Are you playing? And and if he starts playing well, do you think you deserve a contract? So I think it's something that's going to loom over the team for sure, but it's just can the Colts manage it and kind of keep the damage control down and, and work with this person. And then for JT, I'm not sure if it's all about the money anymore or if it's just about I don't want to play for Jim Irsay and the Colts anymore. And the money, you know, be damned. I just don't want to be here anymore. We'll find out very soon. But as always, the Colts have had the upper hand. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He covers the Colts for The Athletic. James Boy, nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeovilleKid. And, of course, you can subscribe to The Athletic to get his most recent story, a GM's perspective on Jonathan Taylor, the Colts, and what seeking a trade can do. James, you had an opportunity to sit down with Randy Mueller, former general manager of the Dolphins and the Saints, and currently in the XFL with the Seattle Sea Dragons. Through that conversation about all the different angles of the Jonathan Taylor saga, what enlightened you the most from that conversation? I think what enlightened me the most was him mentioning Dalvin Cook. And he's like, you know, you got to remember, Dalvin Cook was a, you know, four-time consecutive 1,000-yard rusher, four-time consecutive, you know, pro bowler, and he could hardly feel the market this year. Now, granted, he had shoulder surgery back in February, but it's not like this guy is some scrub. And he also gives you more in the passing game than Jonathan Taylor does. And he's like, that's a guy who still didn't have a great market. So, you know, if you're Jonathan Taylor and you're seeking a huge deal, look across the, you know, the pond, across the water, and look at, look at the guy next to you and see that, you know, maybe that market you want isn't going to be here right now, or if not ever. So, you know, I think a lot of people are like, just pay the guy. But 
you know, Dalvin Cook had no baggage, you know, uh, no extra, you know, claims to money or draft picks, and he still was given a one-year $7 million deal. So that, to me, was probably the most sobering thought about all this is that, yeah, you can, you know, be really good, outperform your contract, whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, if you're a running back, you're not going to get some big payday. It's just not going to happen anymore. And I think that, you know, the Derrick Henry contract, the Christian McCaffrey contract, even the Nick Chubb deal, those are things of the past at this point. You know, let's go back to Jonathan Taylor real quick, James. And this is not an original thought of mine, actually. I think Kevin has mentioned this. Um, I know Todd Meyer mentioned this to me. But I think it's a good point. I want your thought on it. Miami is the team that so far has been most linked to inquiring about Jonathan Taylor. I have no idea how serious that inquiry was. But if you are Miami, would you not have hesitation about Jonathan Taylor based on the fact that they have a quarterback in Tua that they have yet to really be able to keep healthy? And I think if there is a shortcoming of Jonathan Taylor aside from receiving, and he's a home run running back, don't get me wrong, but he's not a great blocking back, and he's not a great blitz pickup back. And if I'm Miami, I am really hesitant based on that. Is that too critical? It's not too critical. Actually, I hadn't thought about that myself, but that is a very good point. I do think that JT had some blown assignments last that didn't help his case for getting paid now as far as a blocker. So that's definitely something you have to keep in mind because, as we know, your team sort of goes to your quarterback goes, and the Dolphins have had, um, you know, seasons kind of derailed because of, you know, Tua's health, especially last season. So I think that that's a valid point that you've made. But at the same time, it's, you know, risk versus reward. And, again, this is why I think that it is still very unlikely because if you're, you know, the Dolphins, why would you, you know, give up draft compensation and give up, you know, a, a big money in a contract extension when you could have pursued Dalvin Cook, maybe pay him more than what the Jets paid him, but get Dalvin Cook, who's only 28, who is a good pass catcher, who is a pretty decent run blocker, and, you know, roll the dice that way without having to um, give up so much to get him. So, um, again, I think that when Tuesday comes and when the season opener comes, JT will be in a Colts uniform. Whether he's smiling or not, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on that, but I would bet on him being in the Colts uniform. Have we heard anything yet today, James, on what exactly the injury or the prognosis is for Danny Penter officially? No, we do not know. We will not talk to Shane Steichen until tomorrow. His uh, post-game interview actually got moved till tomorrow, so we'll find out more then on him. And I believe Julius Brent as well. I'm not sure why he wasn't available. I'm not sure why Darius Rush wasn't available. So just trying to – well, I know Darius Rush was like a hip. But, again, just want to clear up some of those things tomorrow. But Darius Rush is one that's had a pretty good, that had a pretty good preseason, right? And I think probably uh, – you know, they had high expectation for him coming in. But, James, is it fair to say that he might have even exceeded some of the expectation? I think that, yeah. I think for sure. But also, he slipped in the draft. Um, still never really got a clear reason why. Because he was projected to be like a third or fourth round guy. Fell to the fifth round. So, to me, it was never a, a case of can he be good enough playing the NFL – Obviously, having a pick six helps, um, showed some flashes throughout the joint practices. So I think he did enough. The guy that I've been impressed with the most in that room, as far as just kind of underdog stories, is Dylan Jones, seventh-round pick, former five-star recruit, um, very humble guy, and someone who showed um, that he's willing to do whatever to make this team. I think that, you know, I have him on my 53-man roster projection over Tony Brown because of what he showed throughout uh, preseason and just that that – that tenacity that he has to kind of be a survivor and make this team. James, in your 53-man roster cut down, how many tight ends do you have? How many running backs do you have? Oh, let me look right here. I got it pulled up, actually. Um, you put me on the spot. It's funny because, Asks like, because those are the position up. groups we've talked about the most in terms yes. of having a running plethora of guys and bodies four. in there. Yes, running backs, I have four. Evan Hull, Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, and ding, 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 Jonathan Taylor. And then as far as tight ends, I have four. I debated keeping five and, and cutting a spot somewhere else. But the four that I have, Mo Ali Cox, Kylan Granton, Drew Ogletree, Jelani Woods. Obviously, the, the big cut there will be Will Mallory. And honestly, I could be talked into going either way. It's just to me that with Mo Ali Cox, he gives you at least a different flavor than the other, you know, uh, tight ends, whereas Will Mallory sort of the, the pass catching Guy, you already have that with Jelani Woods and Colin Granton and Drew Ogletree saw something last night. So 
Um, again, if you tell me, hey, you're crazy, Will Mallory should be on that team and Molly Cox should be on the chopping block, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. It's just that it's hard for me to see them moving on from him, um, you know, as a veteran and, and sort of giving him a different blocking type of tight end. James, to me, the tight end room is fascinating because I think it has probably the most depth, but it has the least disparity between – I mean, I know there's different styles per se, but in terms of guys that, that have tried to, like, jump out and really seize the spot, to me the tight end has the most interchangeability in terms of amount of footprint that guys have had, like one through five of any room yeah. in, in the complex. That makes sense? Yeah, I completely agree on that for sure. There's not been anyone who's jumped out to the point where you're like, that is the number one tight end for sure. Because to me, I've expected that guy to be Jelani Woods a few months ago, but he just hasn't played. He hasn't been available. And obviously his upside is going to keep him on the roster now. But, I mean, I'm starting to wonder, man, like with this hamstring, how serious is it? And at this point, can you just be healthy, you know, by the season opener? Like what are you doing to make sure you're healthy fully healthy so you don't re-aggravate whatever hamstring issues you've had this offseason. Okay, last question for you here, James, before we let you go, and I appreciate the time, James, Board of the Athletic. I have before me the list of every favorite musical artist of Big Ten football coaches. Now, I'm not going to tell you the coaches. I'm going to read off the artist. You tell me which one you would most identify with, and I'll tell you what school you are relating to their coach. Are you ready? All right, this is fun. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Justin Moore, Pat Green, Mercy Me, Citizen Cope, Alanis Morissette, Prince, Chris Stapleton, Dave Matthews Band, Need to Breathe, Morgan Wallen, Bruce Springsteen, Jay-Z, Prince again, or Zach Bryan? Jay-Z, because 90% of people I've never heard of in my life. <laughs> okay. Uh, congratulations. You are now on board as a running mate and fan of Penn State's James Franklin. <laughs> go Nittany Lions. We'll do that with uh, Jimmy here in a little bit as well uh, and go over some of these coaches. James, appreciate the time as always. And I know obviously kind of a crazy time with preseason ending up in terms of the games and moving forward. So look forward to also talking to you. We'll have some fun coming up here in studio as well. Yes, sir, man. Congrats on the new, obviously, gig going on. I'm excited to have, to have me on, and, and I'm excited for the opportunity to join you guys whenever I can. Appreciate it. Uh, James Boyd, again, from The Athletic.